Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Attending the game, covering the game at SoFi Stadium in L.A., our friend Michael Duarte from NBC LA. Michael, generally you're covering pro sports. How did college football at its big stage play at SoFi? That's a great question, Amy. And first of all, a long time no talk. So happy new year to you. I hope you're doing well. Thank you. Uh, I do cover college sports. I cover USC and, you know, occasionally UCLA. I just came back from the Cotton Bowl recently where that, that crazy two-lane USC game with Tulane's <laughs> great comeback there at the end. But, yeah, this was the first, obviously, big college football game I've seen at SoFi Stadium, and the atmosphere played perfectly. Uh, pre-game uh, energy, excitement level was off the hook. Uh, both bands were competing from opposite sides of the field. And from my perspective, which was the corner uh, of the end zone and TCU's end zone, if you were watching the game, as far as the, the painted purple and their logo there, uh, it was a, a completely divided sea of red and purple throughout the stadium with, you know, the purple starting behind TCU's bench and kind of going all the way over to uh, that corner end zone where the press box was. And then that sea of red picking up, going all the way across the other side, uh, and it was divided, and, and there was delirium going on early in the game. And by the end of the game, it was silence and just a sea of red because the purple had all evacuated the building and headed out into this horrific rain we're having here in L.A. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a perfect environment and atmosphere for a college football game. And the last thing I'll say, uh, Amy, is SoFi Stadium got a lot of uh, a gruff early on when they decided to build a roof, saying, this is L.A., why does the stadium need a roof? And it worked out perfectly today. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you mentioned the fans evacuating. That's the perfect word because I was in the car listening on the radio. So I didn't see toward the end of the game what the stands looked like. But I wondered if TCU fans left early, not only because of the score, but because of the notorious L.A. traffic. At what point did the mass exodus begin? Uh, I started to see the Max Exodus around halfway through the third quarter. I'm not sure if Mattress Mac, who lost his $3 million bet uh, on TCU, was, was part of those <laughs> unhappy fans heading for the exits. But, uh, yeah, I, I'd say right around midway through the third quarter, I started to see a purple wave leave SoFi Stadium and head out into the, to the rainy night here in Los Angeles. Mm. So I was wondering if there would be a lot of... L.A. sports fans, casual fans, people that just wanted to be part of this type of a huge event at SoFi. It certainly didn't seem that way, though. And maybe there were some of those corporate tickets, but it felt much more like the fans that were there, as you say, were divided and took ownership either of Georgia or TCU. Yeah, for the most part, uh, as I walked around the stadium, it was just, like I said, a a sea of red and purple. But I did (laughs) happen to see... Uh, some fans wearing Rams jerseys and Rams hats nice. and USC and UCLA jerseys. And then other people just representing their own universities, Ohio State for one. Um, I saw a couple people wearing Alabama. So, 
some of that. But for the most part, I think fans got the memo because, you know, with Georgia, you could wear red or black, I suppose. And with TCU, you could maybe go purple or gray. And it was just red and purple throughout that stadium. It seemed everybody got got the note uh, to wear those two colors. Uh, and it was just looking perfectly, at least from my vantage point in the press box. Hmm. According to Michael's Twitter, 72,628, the official attendance in that sea of purple and red. So as it started out, and I loved the national anthem with pentatonics, that was phenomenal. Oh, my goodness. I hope that you could hear it uh, and that it played well there, like in person. Um, but the way that it started with all the fanfare and the excitement, uh, and as you say, to end up with just George of fans there is quite the contrast from beginning to end but what stands out to you about watching Georgia in the way that it dominated yeah and there, there was a lot of excitement and I did get to hear the the Pentronics, um national anthem and it was great listening to that especially kind of almost the barbershop quartet way they kind yes. of sang it which I really enjoyed but you know, Georgia rolled over TCU like my dog rolls around the carpet after being in the rain, Amy. And I know your dog, Penny, probably does it, too. And that's how it felt, my takeaways early. And a couple of things I told your producer, James, before going on, this was the second easiest story I've had to, ever had to write in my career. Uh, obviously, it being the biggest, um, largest margin of victory in the history of not just college football championship games, but college football bowl games, period. And poor TCU back in 1920 in the Fort Worth Classic Bowl game, got beat by center Kentucky 63-7. to So now they're part of two of the biggest bowl game, uh, largest uh, deficits they've ever been in, in the history of college football. But this just was one of those situations, and I'll give you a little insight into just kind of how when I write stories that, that need to be posted on NBC's national sites and, and throughout the apps across the country in a game like this, I'll tend to write some notes on both sides and maybe a couple lead paragraphs in the opening, uh, regardless of the outcome. So in this example, I would maybe write, you know, a couple paragraphs if TCU were to win and a couple paragraphs if Georgia were to win. Uh, this was the first time I just had a gut feeling early on that Ooh. I should just write if Georgia wins. And uh, as soon as they went up 17-7, I never looked back. I just wrote as if Georgia was going to win, and it worked out well for me. Doesn't always, though, right? I'm sure you've been at those events where you've started to write. You feel like you've got your game cap and your story and your angle, and then something crazy happens at the end, and all of a sudden it all goes out the window. <laughs> yeah, like I mentioned, that, that Cotton Bowl with USC Tulane, I thought when it was USC had a 15-point <laughs> lead, a little over three minutes left, I thought it was over. I started writing as USC was going to win, and it was a massive rewrite there at the end. Uh, so, yeah, I've had it go the other way before as well. Michael Duarte is with us from NBC LA, was at SoFi for this national championship, first major college football event taking place at the stadium. And yes, uh, worth noting that the roof was very helpful. Otherwise, it would have been extremely messy. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. I don't think there was a close-up of Stetson Bennett the entire broadcast that he didn't have a ginormous smile on his face, almost as if he knew the secret and the rest of us were just about to, to see it play out, but that he knew this was going to happen. They looked so comfortable. They looked so confident it, and it really wasn't a bold and brash type of an attitude. I mean, there's, there's swagger there, obviously when you're a national champ, but it was much more about, we just know. We just know that when we play our game, 
it doesn't matter who is on the other sideline. There's no stopping us. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. And first of all, wouldn't you have a smile on your face as being part of this <laughs> game if you were Stetson Bennett, Amy? Uh, Stetson Bennett was deep in his bag in this game like there was fries at the bottom. Uh, he had the highest passer rating uh, in a college football championship history, 226.9. I don't know if that will ever get beat. Uh, a couple other stats I pulled out for you here. Georgia had 64 plays total in the game. They had 65 points. That means every time they snapped the ball, they were going to average over one point per snap. Oh my gosh. Their offense also averaged 16.8 yards per play. So just think about that. Every time they snapped the ball, they were going to get a first down plus seven more yards every play. That's just how dominant the offense was. And obviously, it could have been worse. It could have been 72 to 7. They let up there at the end to run the clock out. Uh, so I was just kind of looking to see how many records they would break in this game as far as just the, the, the magnitude of this blowout. 17 total records were broken in this game. But Amy, a couple things on Stetson Bennett there. First of all, Kirby Smart said uh, he will be the GOAT in Athens, Georgia for the rest of his life. And I think that was apropos for him, especially a kid. You know, if you watch the Heisman Trophy ceremony, which I got to watch because Caleb Williams here of USC was in it. And another interesting factoid, Amy, Caleb Williams, after Lincoln Riley left around this time last year, thought about transferring to Georgia. And Georgia was trying to get him, which meant Stetson Bennett thought about leaving and potentially going into the NFL draft and going pro after last season's championship Caleb Williams ultimately ends up following Lincoln Riley to USC, right. paving the way for Stetson Bennett to come back and have this historic run. And Stetson Bennett said something after the game. He said, for the last three to four months, we've been out there waiting to see if any team in the country could beat us, and nobody could. And I thought that was just a great, great, impressive line by him. Uh, and the last thing I will say uh, to kind of tell you what I witnessed and observed out there and something that Kirby Smart told me, after Georgia found out, after they, they beat Ohio State in that, that amazing semifinal game, and they found out TCU would be their opponent, obviously they probably watched them beat Michigan earlier. Their scout team uh, went out for the next several days and just studied TCU's offense perfectly and made sure that uh, like backup quarterbacks on Georgia and different players on offense literally – did what TCU and Max Duggan does on offense better than TCU does themselves. And that is why Georgia was so prepared for the game, so confident for the mm. game. And I'm sure everybody does this, but that's what they attributed to it. They knew if they stuck and executed the game plan, as you mentioned before the game, Kirby Smart knew they would be aggressive. Yes. They'd be able to attack and they would have wide open guys because that was just the study and being able to put it in practice throughout the week ahead of the game. So wide open. So wide open. Michael, I have to tell you, I'm slightly disappointed. I mean, you're one of our favorite guests, of course, uh, one of our top friends here on the show. And I was really looking forward to asking you if you had the chance to talk to Ugga or to meet Ugga. But unfortunately, Ugga did not make the trip to L.A. because the plane flight was too long for him. So I know there are other celebrities there. I saw some of your photos. It doesn't matter. Ugga is the only one that I would have asked you about your encounter with. Correct. Yeah, I wanted Ugga to be there, too. He was not. Only uh, the Georgia Bulldog mascot that I get to meet, and I also got to meet the Horned Frogs mascot. Uh, Jason Kidd, Dallas Mavericks coach, and Luka Doncic were both on the sidelines. Okay. I ran to Lincoln Riley on the sidelines. <laughs> but the one of the biggest, of, of course, was uh, Los Angeles Rams quarterback Matthew yes, Stafford, who was a field. Georgia alum, mm -hmm. who Stetson Bennett said he was the GOAT for him growing <laughs> up 
playing at Georgia. That's awesome. He made an appearance. I got to see him on the sideline and say hello to him, too. And he told me, Amy, for anybody who, you know, questioned whether he would retire, he will be back next season with the Rams, regardless of, uh, of Sean McVay's decision to either stay with the Rams or leave. So Matthew Stafford's coming back, L.A., if you're listening. Mm. Well, segue perfectly, of course. You read my mind, Michael, because, yes, Matthew Stafford was part of the, the coin flip. He was out there. LaDainian Tomlinson was representing TCU. And earlier in the day, they had their exit interviews, quote, unquote. And once again, we want you to hear, well, not you. You've already heard it. But the rest of our audience, mm-hmm. here's what Sean McVay had to say about 23. I'm going to take the next couple of days um, to really be able to kind of reflect. Obviously, a lot of conversations with various people um, that will dictate and determine um, the decision that's best for me, my family, um, the Rams, and a lot of people. And that's kind of where we're at with that. What factors go into Sean McVay deciding whether or not he returns to the Rams? That's a great question, Amy. If you had told me a week ago that Sean McVay would not be back with the Rams next season, I would have thought you were crazy. Hmm. Um, but now after hearing Jay Glazer's report yesterday, Sunday, uh, on what he was hearing inside the Rams facility and the thoughts from people with inside the, the organization is that he's more likely to leave and not return than come back. And then hearing his postgame uh, press conference today and his news conference today, that to me sounded like a man who's burnt out uh, and is leaning towards if he had to make the decision right now towards walking away. And that just surprises me for a 36-year-old Super Bowl-winning coach who has his core of his team intact. Um, I think for him, the decision is probably mostly family-based. He got married in the offseason to his wife, Veronica, whose family is in Ukraine. That has to be a very high-stress, scary, fearful situation for him. I know they want to start a family. They want to have a child. Uh, and I also know Sean McVay lives, eats, breathes, and sleeps football, and his wife might might not like that if they want to start a family. She might want him to spend some more time at home and, and take a little bit of a break so they can build this family, uh, and then he can go back to coaching at a different time maybe in his career because he is still young. Uh, but I do know what's weighing on that decision outside of that part, which would lead me to believe maybe he's thinking about leaving, is the impact it would have on – his coaching staff inside the organization, the players he's talked about. Aaron Donald said the only reason he came back and didn't retire was for Sean McVay. Uh, Matthew Stafford had had echoed similar sentiments. So uh, I think the ripple effect, if he were to leave, what it would have on the organization, his coaching staff, the people that he built this family over the last six years with, I think also is going to factor into his decision because he knows if he leaves, Uh, A lot of those people will be gone, too, and without a job. And um, it it may have even more longer-term impact on the Rams on the field. So I think those are the two things he'll be weighing here in the next couple weeks. Uh, And I hope, regardless of his decision, he finds peace and clarity uh, regardless. Before I let you go, it it would take uh, two sets of hands, all of my fingers, all of your fingers on our hands, to count the number of significant injuries that the Rams suffered this year in finishing 5-12, and certainly not what they expected in attempting uh, to defend their Super Bowl championship. But what's another reason that it was such a a year of, of complete opposite from their championship? Well, you nailed it, and that's really what you point to is just they were absolutely decimated by injuries. But looking, you know, at what happened, 
Obviously, you need things to go your way. And in that Super Bowl run, they got a lot of breaks. They got a lot of luck, not only just on the health side, but, you know, a ball bounces your way. Uh, a couple times with the Rams, a ball was fumbled, and it landed into the team who fumbled hands instead of in the Rams' hands, which could have, you know, changed the outcomes of, of multiple Flippery games. Slippery little sucker, that ball. <laughs> exactly. They don't pick up a first down here or there. It leads to, you know, one loss in Tampa Bay that I was at earlier this year that I could point to. So the luck that you need and the ball to bounce your way to win a Super Bowl championship, we saw that with the Rams, you know, in the 2021 season and that Super Bowl uh, earlier in 2022. Uh, and then this season, they just didn't have it. They seem to have all the bad luck and then all the breaks not go their way. But, you know, they didn't address the offensive line in the offseason last year, and they didn't address the secondary. A lot of pieces walked away or retired, like in the case of Andrew Whitworth, and they loaded up their money on the front end, and their big stars, and Aaron Donald and Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, they all got big, massive extensions instead of spreading that money out to get more depth on the places they needed it, which was offensive line in the secondary. And once the injuries started to fall like dominoes, mm. you saw the impact on the Rams. I think if I'm Sean McVay and knowing his pride, I guess, this is not how he wants to go out. So I hope uh, for, for the sake of Rams fans and for this core unit that's still here that he does decide to come back or makes a decision somewhat quickly because, you know, another Sean's out there and Sean Payton, that, yes. that might be a good fit for the Rams as well. So mm. uh, we'll see what he decides. But I do hope he decides to come back and ride it with this unit because this is not a situation where the Rams are in like a complete rebuild. They still have that Super Bowl core intact. Uh, and they still have a window here to win a couple more championships. It's a lot of information there. I've also heard Sean Payton connected to the Cardinals, too, who are looking for a new head coach in the wake of letting Cliff Kingsbury walk. So we'll see how this plays out. But, yeah, the Rams have got some work to do. I definitely miss seeing Vaughn Miller and Cooper Cup, though. You can find Michael Duarte on Twitter at Michael J. Duarte. We missed him as well. Yes, it's been a while, which is why I just want to point out you were my first choice. I had to know whether or not you were going to be at SoFi. And once we found out, I told producer Jay to make sure that he asked you first. Uh, we always appreciate your time, your insight. Happy New Year to you. Good to talk to you again. Thanks, Amy. You too. Enjoy the rest of your show. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.